equals spin The propaganda's win Stress feeding on my attention My countrymen, they love their fiction Words are now Displayed with good intentions Welcome to One of 200, Independent Media and Politics from New Zealand. I'm joined by my co-host, my co-host, uh, Mark Rickaby. I'm clearly struggling this morning. Uh, we got to sub four degrees overnight in Auckland. It is not nice weather. How are you, Mark? Uh, kia ora koutou. Um, I'm really good, Kyle. Um, it's about two degrees outside now, so it's just above zero. Beautiful, clear, clear day. Not Not so much of a beautiful, clear week, though. No, no, it's been it's been pretty crazy, and that's one of the things we'll we'll try and cover a little bit today is the just increasing climate crisis. You know, it's it's really starting to shape up, uh, as, as they say. We've been talking about it for years uh, on the podcast, but just in general, but we're really hitting some some serious crunch on that. We had the UN Secretary General do this big statement about how we're moving past global warming to global boiling. We've got these out-of-control fires in in Greece uh, and, and a heat wave across, you know, large parts of the world. It's it's not looking good. And aliens. <laughs> Are we going to talk about the aliens? We're not no, going to talk about the aliens. We're not going to talk about the aliens. Absolute nonsense there, which just gets into a rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, what else do we want to talk about today? Uh, the the Curry Allen situation, I think we're, we're going to have to cover. Uh, we've got uh, this range of uh, political releases and, and news coverage on tax policy, which is nice. Like, I, you know, I, I love some policy coverage um, that's useful during election campaign, not so keen on, on the way it's come about. Uh, and the final thing I want to talk about today was, uh, again, policy-related, the subtle shift, maybe not so subtle shift, in some of the National Party's education policy around sex education. Let's kick off, though, uh, with the, the news that started the week in New Zealand politics, which was Minister of Justice uh, Kerry Allen, uh, who has been under... A large amount of scrutiny and pressure over the last few months. Uh, much of it, I would say, unwarranted. Your mileage may vary on that, uh, but there are some clear cases where, you know, she was she was getting front page headlines for very anodyne uh, things like going on leave for the school holidays, uh, as the as the press pack tried to roll over the story about, you know, raised voices uh, between. Kerry Allen and some of uh, the people in the ministry um, or in parliament. Earlier in the week, she crashed a car, uh, was arrested, charged with driving under the influence, and subsequently resigned as minister uh, and announced that she's not going to uh, challenge the election. She's not. She's not going to come back to parliament. What's your view been on this mark from you know the way it's been covered and and the way it's been talked about yeah i think to start off with i think the timing of of it was weird like it because so you said start of the week right it happened late on sunday night early on monday morning so it was there there was this sort of 
story kind of brewing in the pressure cooker there. Well, at about 7 a.m. on Monday morning, you know, the reporters were all, um, I think some of them were actually at the police station on Sunday night sort of looking and seeing, but they didn't have any verification. So then it basically um, the Prime Minister's office, I think, put out a press release about it, uh, which had some over-the-top statements in it. So right from right out of the gate, there were kind of, there were very sort of strongly worded things being thrown around. A little bit of misinformation, you might say. Well, I think that... Not intentional, I, but incorrect nonetheless. Well, I don't know what, you know, I just think that it's just like bad handling under pressure. And it really, it, it's really interesting to see this government was so praised for their ability to handle crises. And you look at a situation like that and how poorly managed it was at that very, very initial stage. Um, and it's like they just kind of hung her out to dry, really. Um, so that was that was my initial impressions, but obviously very, like very concerning, you know. Like I think a lot of us who have had episodes of of mental health crisis um, can can relate to that on a, like a deeper level, like knowing what it's like to be completely messed up and lost in a you know, and the the situations that we can get to as as humans i think there's a like there's a strong and i've seen that empathy like across the political spectrum i have seen people acknowledge that yeah um, but at the same time you know you that it's egregious in terms of like you like crashing a car being under the influence as justice minister it's just like that's about as bad as we have seen it get um it's not unprecedented i think there's a lot of people out there trying to claim that it's this you know n- never before seen level of offence or whatever. Now, there is a long history of politicians in, in Aotearoa um, being convicted for drunk driving. Like, that's that's just like a baseline. Like, And it's that the generation of, of boomers and, 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 and the generation before them, that was just a completely normal thing. Um, but now it's it's not a normal thing and it's treated very seriously. But, you know, it's, this is like something that has been a periodic thing that's happened in politics. Maybe not in the context that we see now, though, this is a sort of situation of, I guess, um, it's it's hard to know. We don't know, and we sh- probably shouldn't speculate as well, that um, this surviving in this kind of current parliamentary culture, especially as a Māori woman, it's just, it just adds a whole bunch of layers of, of insanity that these these old Pākehā guys with their drink-driving, you know, DUI, um, like records just have never had to deal with that level of Morgan Godfrey had a good piece about this um, yeah yeah and I, I agreed with a lot of that and I think like no one's saying oh you know it's not serious or it's not yeah. severe I think we're saying like what what is the point of the rolling coverage what is the point of like drip feeding these little sort of attack pieces and like hysterical kind of like the car was crashed outside the home of a senior public servant that like, was nasty it was nasty like but it's like if you know Oriental Bay or Roseneath and around there, like you you can't park your car or stop your car or crash your car anywhere that's not outside the home of a senior public servant. Like it's just the most ridiculous um, but like blatant sort of like level of just squeezing the story out for yeah. another day. Um, and the question is like what is the actual, what, like why? Like what? What do you gain from from this? Yeah. Like she's resigned. Her political career is over. It's it's very yeah. sad. If you think it's disqualifying, she has disqualified herself. Yeah, 
and it's like, what more is there to be said? Well, we can have a conversation about the toxicity of the parliamentary culture and the press culture. Like, there, there's a lot more to be said about that. But what more is there to be said about the incident? Could we perhaps wait for three days, you know, package up the information and then deliver a, a detailed sort of feature story on it rather than this, this rolling yeah. sort of click-focused coverage, which just it just enrages people, really. And this is why I'm, like, so over the continual justification of, oh, we have to do this. We have to. You know, it's a it's an imperative to cover things this way because we need to get the clicks and engagement because that's how the financial model works for media. Well, you're, you're nearly there, mate. You've nearly figured it, figured it out. You've nearly figured out that something's drastically wrong with the way that media is being done. Um, I think one of the interesting things is that, and sad things, is, you know, this is this is a personal tragedy and it's personally disqualifying that there have been consequences for this immediately. And yet people are trying to say there are political implications of it. And I'm not really sure there are. And, you know, the National Party and the ACT Party have, of course, they're going to try and draw a political line, but this isn't, this wasn't an abuse of power. You know, this wasn't like using the ministerial uh, role to, to do something that has had an impact on anyone else in New Zealand, really. It's a bad personal thing, but I don't think that there are strong political implications that really affect New Zealanders. Yeah, I think it's a question of fitness to hold office. It's not a question of abuse of that office or sort of extension of the power of that office. And if there are political implications, it's probably just the adjacency to the election. It's not really, you know, it's not something that, I mean, there are probably implications in terms of cabinet mm-hmm. that losing someone with so much experience and leadership skill, obviously that has been kind of disputed out in the media recently as well. But that's like so it's a huge blow for them. However, you know, 10 weeks out or 12 weeks out or whatever it is, I don't even know. Maybe I don't even want to know, actually. It's, it's, this is, it's not going to have impacts on like policy delivery or, no. you know, government as a whole because we are at like an election season. So it's just, it's fully like campaigning now. I think the thing that has really tipped us for me from being just about, or from being able to be excused or, or justified as, oh, we're just getting the clips. We just have to follow the story is uh, the midweek headlines about, dogs being sent after Kerry Allen, which I think every paper published it as a headline around the same time, which is dogs used to track Kerry Allen. And if you go into any of those stories, like maybe halfway down as per usual, it was police would not confirm or, or would not um, say that dogs had been used. Uh, and then the evidence for dogs being used was one resident said they heard dogs barking in a police car. And it didn't stop. It didn't stop reporters from just pushing the story for two days until it came out that police hadn't used dogs to track Carrie Allen. They had used dogs at the scene. Which just why? Why and how were these decisions made to make it sound worse for for this individual when there was no evidential basis for that? But there just wasn't. This is a clear case. Of there being it could have been evidence, you know, if 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 it was something that happened, then publishing that might have led to you know it more more unraveling. Yeah, yeah. that's that's a logic that I've seen before a lot. I'm not saying this that it was exact. I like I don't think there is a rationality behind it. I don't think that the there is a sort of like a decision making process. I think it is a 
it's a whirlwind. It's a kind of, it's a sort of a shared kind of collective, I'm not going to say delusion, but you know, the sort of irrational exuberance of like mm -hmm. pursuing the the story. Um, and, and I think that when, when there's a hot story, um, people do get really into it. I'm not saying that's like completely 100% explanation for everything, but it's very clear to me that there's like very little editorial sort of oversight and like kind of calm decision-making around these things. Um, and, and it is so open to political exploitation um, yeah. as a consequence. Yeah. Um, and I think that different people will have different opinions about how meaningful that is, you know, how, how accidental or purposeful that is, you know, in terms of creating the culture and the organizational structure to allow for that. But I think we don't we don't really talk about the media as as organizations, you know, that have bosses that have, you know, an investment and and, um, and boards like we, we sort of talk about it as this amorphous kind of like abstraction of like kind of like principles and, and whatnot, rather than like a bunch of people doing a job. And those people having bosses that sometimes interfere in the job and sometimes support the job. Yeah. And I think maybe one of the more worrying signs out of this whole story for me is the propensity to leap on this stuff and just publish. Um, and we've already seen a couple of other things this week like that um, that'll come up in some of the tax discussion where people are just saying things like, oh, hey, we've got to report it. We've got to get the story out. There's, it seems like there's a lot of pressure on newsrooms uh, to be making election news to be making politics news in this kind of perception yeah. space uh certainly not happening too much in the policy space i'll, I'll tell you what uh but what do you, do you think there's going to be is this going to be a problem for labor um what? coming into the election campaign do do you think people really care about this too much yeah that's i think that's a really good question because i think you know how how it how you might hear it explained is that it's not um, and this act is a parallel to like climate change stuff here. Actually, um, it's it's the audience driving it. You know that that's an explanation of it. That people want the speed. People um, like us, I guess, are examples of people who go onto Twitter to look at the stupid like political news, um, or the the you know the discourse of the day, or yeah. the main character, or whatever whatever the dynamic is. There's a few different dynamics, and that people are really into that. And they get like good clicks on these stories. Um, so there, and there's, there's definitely is an element of that. But I, you know, I'm, I don't really know if that's a, that is necessarily like driving. There's still editorial decisions being made. There's still a responsibility and accountability to the, the, the overall um, shape of the coverage. Um, and like ethical responsibilities that, um, so I think. It's hard to say. Like, obviously, they wouldn't be running it if it wasn't popular. Um, if if it was sucking and people didn't want to read it, then they would just change because that's it's very much it is driven by the sort of you know the, that feedback. Like everything that has online metrics associated with it, so you can see yeah what's what's doing well and what's not doing well. But I think in general, like yeah, people are pretty apathetic. And I don't think they want, I think they want to hear stuff that's going to help them and going to be like worthwhile for them to engage with politically. I don't really think a general audience really wants to deal with like Wellington drama. And so I don't know whether this is just like really playing to the most partisan um, that they they sense that, you know, maybe there's like, like let's let's draw an analogy to like, like, 
mobile games or like um those some of those weird like exploitative mmos or like gacha games <laughs> where you've got these whales or like the crypto whales yeah and like the the, the equivalent for like political journalism and Aotearoa is um it is the partisans it's the the deranged sort of laborite tweeters who defend like with you know no like no rational thought just like reflexive defense it's the crazy arrays of like bots and the freaks that are actually real people but behave like bots that are just national like national and act sort of reply guy type dynamics and these people will they're the whales of the political like media coverage they will be clicking on like 20 or 30 articles a day or more yeah and, and the same one sometimes maybe they just click on it a yeah. whole bunch just to drive up the numbers <laughs> well, yeah I mean that was happening with a bunch of those Facebook analytics, um, and we well we won't go into that, but um, yeah, it's certain. Actually, I hadn't thought of I hadn't thought of the bots on that level of like uh, clicking news stories like over and over. Um, but we well, we know that was happening with whale oil because there was actually evidence of it like yeah. being org- organized. So yeah, certainly something to be said there. But I'm just more thinking that there is you know there's a, a small segment of the audience who will. Who will pursue every story out of anger and sort of and like partisan sort of sentiment not us though we're normal but i don't have access to the demographic information or the metrics so this is kind of speculative um and just based on you know, my observations and experience but it certainly seems to me like that there a lot of that political reporting is delivering to that particular sort of niche yeah whether intentional or not right well yeah i think it's just like I don't I don't think that they really have a very sophisticated sort of architecture of like understanding the analytics and audience. I think it is just like number go up, clicks go up, um, controversy, you know, go up. Like what what are the what did they used to say back in the sixties or seventies? Like if it bleeds, it leads or something mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. Like it's sort of and that's like it's like obviously a, a metaphor in it, uh, in the context of like a political scalp, but it's basically that same dynamic. People like humans love drama so there is an element of that but you know we don't because nothing is public we don't really know like for sure like what the what the audience dynamics are but i think we can say that there's a significant amount of people getting very frustrated by the stalemate and the bullshit at the moment Mm -hmm. and and that's clear from the 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 enraged sort of um national um and act bots you know, constantly saying, like, just talking about how the government's not doing anything. Uh, people on the left are saying, you know, the government's, like, basically conser- fiscally conservative. They're not doing enough. You know, we're in an infrastructure crisis. We're not really talking about the infrastructure crisis. We're talking about these funny little dramas that happen and yeah. in, 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 um, and sometimes they explode in these these unfortunately tragic and, and painful ways like like we've seen yeah and you know all the best to carry on um and I, I hope she has support and is able to to bounce back with, with something in the future but yeah i just don't, i don't think it's news anymore I, I you know it's happened i really hope that people in media just take their foot off the gas on that hey yeah i think we do need we do need a bit of a cooling off um and certainly like you know we have seen we've seen like potential for political violence in the last week we've seen a couple of incidents of like racist sort of mob behavior getting very close to like actual outbreaks of like political violence so we we need to be 
really, really quite serious about the way we think about sort of mass spreading coverage and the tone, the, the, the mood and the tone of, of political coverage, I think, is, is really matters. Yeah. Well, let's move on to the next topic, which is about policy. Uh, but the way in which this story began was the National Party claimed they had a leak uh, of Labour's tax policy and that immediately led headlines. And I I don't think that's a healthy way to start a discourse. I, I'm just going to put that out there. I did, initially, um, in, in the original stories, Labour hadn't even been asked whether or not this was. And when, when they were, um, so fair play, they, they were asked eventually, they said, we're not going to talk about it. <laughs> But that, that story is still continuing. It's about three days in. Um, so Nicola Willis uh, made the claim that she had been leaked the uh, tax policy from Labour that they were going to take GST off from veg. And, you know, this was around the same time that the Party Māori uh, announced that their tax policy, which was extensive and pretty radical for the New Zealand politics circuit, uh, which included that as well, yeah, Willis did the stand-up about it. She was like, oh, this, we've got their policy, ha-ha, um, and also Labour are leaking, he-he-he. Uh, and, yeah, every every member of the gallery just seemed to jump on it and take it as wrote that that was true. Personally, I would not be running that as like a as a continuing story without, without better evidence. What are your feelings about that? Well, I was trying... I really don't like to pay attention to to net press conferences. So <laughs> I was looking at some of the announcements just to get my head around what was happening. But I, I felt like that that whole thing really, to me, just as a sort of outside observer, it did seem like um, like it was playing into a narrative that um, National have been trying to establish for a while, which is this sort of you can't trust Labour on tax. Yeah. Um, and so it was really like, just trying it was being and, and almost you like it was very cleverly timed because it was around like so we've had the the green party has released fairly comprehensive tax policy um and now te party maori have released a fairly comprehensive tax policy which are similarly you know focusing on a rebalancing of the entire tax system um and there are there is significant details that differ between them but the overall big picture is it's this this idea that we need to rebalance the the way that wealth is being managed in this country and there's a lot of i think there's a lot of public support for that um as we've yeah seen i mean this is polled you know this is the media stories have been talking about this as well there's huge public support particularly for gst off off food yeah and so Labour, for a long time, you know, for years, have been saying, we're not going to do it, we're not going to do it, we're not going to do it. You know, and they, they've said it in various ways with various rulings out and, you know, the, there's like another dynamic there. Um, but this this whole approach from National is is trying to undermine that. It's trying to say, well, Labour have said this, but you can't trust them mm-hmm. because they're just going to go with these radical left parties who, who want to want to tax your, your boat and your, like, your three cars and, and your your three rental properties or whatever, um, whatever whatever angle it is, I don't know what people even think when they say wealth tax, what their actual kind of like cognitive process is because it seems like what they're trying to do is just make ta- associate tax with like negativity um, and, you know, the tax burden and all of that, um, all of that pretty classic sort of um, style of, of propaganda 
um, around around tax, and it's just playing into that. It's it's really, um, it, but it is also like the fact that Labour haven't actually released any policy around this just kind of leaves them quite open to that attack. Like, if you don't want to be open to the attack, you know, you you go on the forefront. You have a whole bunch of stuff that you're leading with, and 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 they haven't. I don't know why they haven't done that. I, I think are they, you know, saving up some big kind of policy announcement until like really soon because there's some st- strategy around that. I've assumed that that's the approach, but you know, in the meantime, we're just seeing all of this ridiculous yeah. stuff going back and forth. And it's I, I agree with you in the sense that I think it's really unproductive to have these discussions so close to an election. I think it's it's really not a great way to absorb and think about that information for a lot of people as voters who actually maybe want to approach this more strategically. Um, and the I think the the other thing I'll say on that is, and a, a lot of people I think will disagree with me on this. I think the GST, the fresh fruit and vegetables, or kai in general, I, I don't think it matters. I really don't think it's it's going to make a huge difference or um, be, you know, impactful. I think, um, I don't, but at the same time, I don't think it's bad. Like, I don't, it's just whatever. Yeah. It's it's not. No, I like, I agree. It's not the reform that we need. The reform that we need is changing the tax brackets. It's having a tax-free threshold so that people who are on low incomes don't have this, you know, out, out of out of whack level of, of taxation that is unfair when there is, and, and I've, I've lived in countries where it was worked like that and it makes a ton of sense. You can just be comfortable on a low income. It's like actually good. You're not starving. You're not freezing. You're not worried about like your next doctor's bill. Yeah. And so if, you know, and if, if you have, you know, if things change or you have a health type crisis and then you, you know, in a couple of years, maybe you go back into working, it, um, having a, a, like a period where you are on a really low income and not being kind of pinged for that. It's just yeah. like, it's obvious. It's like a very clear very like sensible way to approach the the kind of overall sort of taxation curve but for some reason we're we're just we're allergic to having that that broader discussion like yeah. we feel like and I, I do think some of it dates back to the 80s like this vision for absolutely like was still there it's still lurking in the background well gst being brought on was a rogenomics it, yeah 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 trevor declean um was a uh got that one through um, and GST is an example of a type of flat tax. And there are like, you know, it, it does have a lot of benefits. It is like uh, like the, what the tax nerds are saying about the conceptual simplicity and stuff. Like that, that's correct. It's just a ridiculous argument to make. Um, it's also very balanced toward, you know, sort of corporate and business interests because yeah. um, it really simplifies the cost of like transactions and doing business. It, it makes you know the structure of running a company like really well organized not great for like ordinary people on low incomes though oh, they don't matter so, well well apparently they don't matter but they're the yeah. people who are like, actually like making the economy work so and yeah there are better ways and like but i think this argument about conceptual simplicity or of the tax system is like actually quite insane yeah because like we wouldn't make that argument about anything else. Like we would just see like that's aesthetics. Like yeah. and we're told like oh you know it shouldn't make like important like decisions around aesthetics. But then it turns out like a lot of these neoliberal sort of moral structures are actually very aesthetic in the way that they're sort of 
yeah understood and, and felt and explained and and it's just i think that to me that's the stuff that i find really interesting because it's just like how do people get down these little rabbit holes of sort of thought um where where something like that um that would never be argued in a you know you wouldn't you, you wouldn't argue that for like cars or roads or something but you or like for for design you know people get really angry when design isn't like functional um and it's you know it's, it's just decorative um and it's and it's seen as arrogant and sort of auteurs trying to impose their will on people but then suddenly like with tax apparently this is like a good thing so um and yeah. it's about you know i think conceptual simplicity and clarity is really important and the government even has put through this kind of plain language thing a, a while ago in legislation that we you know we should be communicating these um regulations and policy structures and with conceptual simplicity as well as trying to make them simple so you know it's not a spurious argument necessarily i just think it's quite the way that it's being deployed and discussed is like i just can't really and, and especially in this case right yeah because yeah the, the argument being made is that the the poorest people in this country are suffering and we need to find a way to like help them suffer less saying oh no but that doesn't look good that doesn't look nice enough that's not clean enough way to do it yeah it just feels pretty nasty the bureaucracy isn't efficient enough doing it that way it is very nasty i think it yeah. is because it's 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 shifting the problem it's yeah. saying that the, the problem is one of how we structure the bureaucracy not how how the bureaucracy supports like the economy and supports people's lives makes people's lives easier the problem is that you know we're in terms of social and i guess financial structures it's a upwards extractive system like right. the people at the top take all the things and hoard it and you know we say gst is a flat tax or whatever but it's not like there aren't a multitude of ways to not pay that if you have the resources i think keith ng did a tweet saying that they pay at about point the, the richest um people corporations etc play about 0.5 percent of yeah. gst and you're yeah, like okay. As long as there's, you know, if that's built into the system as well, then these arguments about the simplicity are kind of moot because it's not doing its job in the first place where it's it's meant to be capturing a higher percentage or not a higher percentage. It's capturing the same percentage across all products or services, but as a percentage of, you know, what individuals or corporations have, it's not equitable in any useful way. Um, and and like, also, I don't give a shit about GST. Like, just do a wealth tax. Like, the, the really big issue is, as you've said earlier in the, the cast, like, we've got this huge infrastructure deficit. We've got a public service deficit. We've got multiple crises. Just making some kind of, like, small changes to GST, even if they help uh, some people, which is great. Like, as you said, I, I, I don't... That's not a bad thing. It's not going to solve the major issues. Like... No, it's not. We, we need to... We need to we need more tax revenue. Like we, we just need to take more stuff. Exactly. Well, I think my perspective on it, and again, people may disagree with this, um, but it's a systems perspective, right? I'm not a tax expert, but I am a systems expert. That's what I do. That's like my job. And the, the way I see it is, is that our conversation around tax is it's either this kind of this right wing framing of like burden um, or it's around revenue, you know, and, and I think there's another way to look at it. And 
you can really see this if you look at the history um, of like World War Two and then post World War Two and the um, the gains in that ordinary people made were through this kind of rebalancing of these these economic systems towards actually supporting working people as the core of the economy. And that involved very, very high tax rates on corporates and like wealth taxes and all sorts of structures that were put in place to prevent these these kind of 19th century um, sort of robber baron capitalist style um, oligarchies from emerging. And that, I think, shows you that tax can be used as like sort of like a a form of regulation that is like, well, I mean, it's like the engineering term regulation, not the sort of bureaucratic or like freak out, political freak out term, where you're thinking about like pressure valves and releases, yeah. you know, and this is a way of like preventing like these explosions of distortion that happen when the, the super wealthy basically gain a huge amount of, of assets and resources and consequently power really fast. Yeah, I mean, this is thing, right? can be used to regulate that, to keep that that you know to 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 let off steam at the right parts of the economy so that you don't get these distortions there's this real like i don't even know what to call it cuz it's it's past the kayfabe it's past the theater but an inability almost at this point to consider that people with power and resource don't enact that upon the system that they're part of to get more well economists do understand that there's a term in economics the principal agent problem like we we often will bring this up like they know it it's it's there. We we just don't we choose to to leave that out of a lot of these political yeah. discussions. And we we choose not to make it part of the the solve, right? Like, but it absolutely has to be. And we we know this is an issue. Um, you know, it's rampant in the US, obviously, but we've seen it particularly um in New Zealand over the last couple of years. Just looking at those donations numbers, right, right. Like the the most incredible um amounts donated to Act and National, yep. that we've ever seen. Yep. And it's purely, I think it is around this this threat that they see of a wealth tax in whatever yep. form. You know, m- maybe capital gains, maybe these sort of financial transaction taxes that occasionally be get talked about. There's a lot, a lot of FUD being thrown around about it. Um, yep. and it's and it's now getting to the point where they're actually organizing and funding these political parties to stop it. And it's, you know, this this is what the election is about right now, I believe. Um, it yeah. probably should be about climate change, let's be honest. Like, well, I think they're the same, in some ways they're the same argument. And we'll, I mean, we'll get to climate change as well. Um, you know, I'm despite everything, I'm glad to see tax policy in the news, even if it's this very narrow slice of it based on this ridiculous set of circumstances. I wish we'd seen this amount of coverage um, of either uh, the Greens tax plans or, and you know, e- even this amount of nitpicking, like, all right, go over it in public and say what you think is wrong with it and what will work about it. I'd love to see more on Te Pata Māori's uh, stuff as well. But if the, if the centre parties aren't going to offer anything, just don't cover them. Just fuck them. Uh, so, yeah, I'm glad to see the reporting. Um, I'd like to see more. And I'd like to see more about the coverage of, like, what the outcomes of this stuff are because, like, people, and this comes into climate as well, like, yes, it should probably be a climate election. How are we going to actually make the changes needed without effectively taxing wealth. Right. Yeah, I mean, you know? that certainly does come down to it because you look at the um, emissions, um, the emissions curve of like ordinary people. And and as you get into those cohorts, it just rockets up to the point where it gets to the very top and there's like private jets being involved. And then, you know, it's yeah. like exponentially more 
um, emissions from a billionaire than say from like a, a kind of upper middle class person yeah. like disturbing um, and that's like that's what they are fighting back against because that that aspiration to to be like a climate polluting sort of like megalodon type like creature is like apparently really important to them yeah it's it's bad um let's talk about climate then things have become or are, are becoming worse and worse uh hottest everything's just like breaking records all over the place um and air temperature um, ocean surface temperatures less ice <laughs> you know wildfires more people in the wider you know international political strata are starting to talk about it with a lot more urgency which i don't think we've seen to this extent previously uh the impacts on normal people are becoming worse and worse there is no coverage but requisite to how serious this is and the only climate policies out there are the green parties and they're not getting coverage either what's like i understand this is like a, a generational problem with climate reporting but surely this is the moment to like to say oh maybe the public does need to know this maybe the public's not bored of this anymore the the, the change is significant enough that we should just give this wall-to-wall -wall coverage for a little while a little while at least yeah well as we've discussed it's not it's not driven by importance or priority it's driven by events you know interceding in the discourse of some activist or sort of emissions kind of of like public relations or whatever the you know there needs to be a driver of the discourse those fires in greece have been pretty exciting but they're not they're in they're in greece or in sicily you know they're not they're not on our islands it's winter here but you know having said that there's been some pretty remarkable data out about the lack of um, extent of um, antarctic sea ice this winter an incredibly disturbing um, trend looks like it's hitting some sort of tipping point um, you know in a rational a rational political environment we would have had an emergency session of parliament to talk about that not yeah. to talk about um, the justice minister's crash that you know and in 10 years 15 years we will look back on that week and that that will be on the historical record that parliament will be condemned for that they will they all of them their legacy will be that they've diminished their mana they have all of them by their actions in the last week and particularly david seymour and and everything associated with with what's going on there but that that that's how people in the future will see it they'll be like well, you you had information about what was happening um, and the, the the sudden plunge in the extent of Antarctic sea ice, and you didn't you you did not take it seriously, and and this is what you were spending your time as politicians with power doing. Um, mm -hmm. And I but I I think that their role can really be um, quite effective in in terms of what you were saying about the media. If if they had an emergency session of Parliament going, where you know as as a signatory to the Antarctic Treaty. And as a guardian of, of the Southern Ocean, that's really important to us. This is a, a, an issue of like global importance and we can be leaders on this. It's just not the way that things are happening at the moment. Um, and it's just, it's really sad. It's tragic. Um, we need to change it somehow. And I think the only way to change it is just to, you know, talk about it, make more people aware uh, and try to try to shift that political culture. Um, and do, like, essentially, we just need to try to vote out People that are, you know, backed by interests that want to block that and and not not acknowledge it, and and, um, and continue business as usual. Uh, very yeah. powerful forces working towards that at the moment, and we need to we need to talk about that and and 
be very, very open about how important it is that that we stop those people from doing that. Yeah, I, I think this is the reason the climate crisis stuff is so important other than, you know, everything. And we talked about this with Christine Rose uh, in the midweek cast last week. Um, in regards to climate shift recommendations. But even if we're if we're not talking about the specific mitigations or like the specific policies that need to be enacted, in terms of something like an emergency session based on the data we're seeing coming out in the last couple of weeks, I want to know what New Zealand Parliament's plans for food security are. Right, right. You know? I, I want to know what their plans are if we hit our summer um, and are having similar problems with things like wildfires. Yeah. Like what, what, is our, what are our managed retreat plans if, if that's needed? What are we doing with infrastructure? What have we got in place for next January? Should we see another deluge similar to what we saw earlier in the year? Should we get another 2,000 people to train trained up in rural fire response? Yeah. Should we be throwing money into you know fire emergency, uh, into civil defence, um, into CABs? Where, where is the funding for these parts of civic society that will help us when the crisis hits harder and harder at the physical level? Because these are all things that are going to directly impact people to an extent that a lot of other political issues don't do so drastically. Uh, and, and then you, again, you have to have the question of how do we, how do we fund this? You know, and like, I mean, they could just take on a whole bunch of debt, you know, and, and I, that's good. That'd be fine. Or they could tax more. And, and make things a bit more equitable and and do it that way. We've also got like, what do we do when we start getting large numbers of uh, climate refugees? You know, um, what about the rest of the Pacific? What are we doing to support them? I want to know the answers to these things. These are, these are existential questions for life in New Zealand. And the fact that no one apparently in politics and media is having a serious or ongoing conversation about this is an indictment on the entire the entire system it's it's disgusting frankly yeah well i think there are probably answers to some of those questions out there like it's you know we we don't our public service does a good job like broadly like there's certainly a lot of problems but people are working on these 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 issues there is active policy with civil defense and stuff there's been a lot of changes um, recently, so I mean, it's probably not particularly interesting in terms of coverage. The coverage loop that we were talking about, um, which maybe that's that's the the indictment of of that current current state of affairs. But I mean, certainly, certainly, there's 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 been some thinking and planning around that. Uh, a lot of the higher level response stuff is going to be fairly disputed. You know, like there's not a we don't have a shared common understanding across the political spectrum of like the urgency. And there are mixed views in some areas of the political spectrum around like what is actually like what what is actually happening with climate change. Not all well, of them. Well, they're outright deniers in both National and Act. And you know, this is never a fucking question and brought up. No one no one has we knew that with the Act MPs going in that there are a couple of climate deniers right. in there. It's never been discussed, it's but never been challenged. Well they get put on the spot from time to time, but it's in a sort of a gaff kind of a structure, not in a like this is like is this a problem for the credibility of your political project that yeah. these people exist? But that's some that's across the board. Like I'm sure there's a bunch yeah. of climate deniers in New Zealand boards of like oh, governance. Um, the New Zealand Initiative is known to have several quite high profile climate deniers driving a lot of that. Um, and no one really knows the full extent. But um, well, actually, that's funny because 
that they had, well, not maybe not them, but their, their buddies in the office next door to them um, had a leak this week. Um, did you did you see that? Yeah, there's something I, um, well, an apparent leak, possibly a leak, right? Like, Well, how else would you explain it? Because they randomly went to, briefed a couple of political journalists, um, well, perhaps one in particular, but it seemed to be like a bit of noise that was being made. Yeah, yeah, they were very worried about it. Um, yeah, so obviously someone has either said some stuff or has delivered some documents somewhere, and they're trying to figure out what's going to happen to them. But I think that because the, the response from Nikki Hager was very, very funny, very, <laughs> very cutting, um, that they're not important enough for a book. But I think it's what has been revealed, and this this speaks to the kind of climate denial angle, um, and I, some of them will vehemently like disagree that they are climate deniers, but like the there's like plenty of evidence. I'm sorry, there, there's plenty of evidence. Um, we could make an itemized list um, if there's any if there's any disputes around that. Um, <laughs> that um, there's a coordinated sort of strategy going on where it's like, and it is very similar to that two track approach that yeah. that Nikki described in his Dirty Politics book, where we have this kind of this supposedly nonpartisan think tank with all of these lobbyists and economic experts advising on policy and advising on all the strategic stuff. And now they're the good cop. And then there's this, this grubby, weirdo public relations press release factory attack thing, which is like the, that, that's the sort of two track. Yeah. Um, and it turns out they actually do, they're in the same building in Wellington. They, um, uh, as we have heard from person who was on the board of the Reserve Bank and is like a public oh, policy yeah. expert who tweeted um, a sort of like a bit of a dig at them a couple of years ago and had the Taxpayers Union uh, a dig at the New Zealand Initiative, I should say, the screenshot of the logos on their website with British American Tobacco. Which is all open. Um, yeah, it is all open because it was just their website and didn't say anything in particular about a conference that they were sponsoring, but the TPU attacked, um, well, sent, basically sent uh, did one of their OIA kind of um, things. Barrages. And we sent all these accusatory emails trying to get him fired or taken off the board. Um, and it's well, so it's clearly like how the way that they work together is kind of coordinated. Um, and there's we haven't had a lot of like great examples of that, but I think it's very interesting to see that coming out in the open that when when you get a situation like this, um, and then I think the funniest thing for me was this whole ridiculous discourse around um, around journalists. <laughs> And right of reply, and then it turns and, out oh, anti-anti-democratic, like, right? The, the right of reply um, of like, actually, I'm not writing a book at all, and you you didn't check with me before you started saying all this stuff in public. Oh, but you know, tweets aren't journalism, remember? So <laughs> all good, like nothing weird at all happened. That's just like part of the discourse. Yeah. Um, yeah. But this is this, you know, we have these organised um, groups working behind the scenes with large corporate funding, basically trying to block climate change action. Um, and and they they wouldn't say that. And again, this is where I can be like, if, if this is like slanderous or whatever, I, I can provide the itemized list. It's fairly clear that like a big part of that, so, you know, stopping like the government from having enough revenue to fix infrastructure, um, ensuring that only corporates are like positioned to actually be able to take advantage of these breaking down systems and it's getting to like extreme points because we do need to change the way that we live we need to decarbonize it's not as simple as an ets we we now 
are in the situation where we need to actually change the structure of our society to respond to the scale of this emergency. And so we business as usual is over. We have to we have to yeah. figure out but what the discourse needs is. to significantly shift yeah. to normalize the idea of systems change. That's right. And and it's it's and and these organizations I believe exist to basically try to prevent that discourse from happening and to pre- prevent the concrete steps towards that systems change. And that's I think we should be just scathing about them. Frankly, I think we we need to be pretty much like like be on the attack because if yeah. they're attacking our public institutions, they're undermining, you know, public officials, they're um doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes, they're taking huge amounts of corporate money to just And still treated like incredibly kindly by the media in terms of like being allowed to just chuck their things into the into stories, yeah, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like why? Why? Why do you trust these people? Why why are you giving them the space to do this? When they yeah. journalists absolutely know how these how how they oh, operate. Yeah, yeah. Like and they, they know the people like Jordan Williams at the top yeah. are really nasty pieces of work. This is yeah. you know <laughs> we have transcripts of them being incredibly mm-hmm. nasty. Like why why do you give this person the time of day? Yeah. So I think that's to me is a question for the broader left here is, is how we kind of counter this. Because yeah. we are seeing, you know, with Luxon taking over the leadership, there has been a realignment to become much, much closer to the sort of neoliberal cultists and in, in those movements. Um, he got them in his office, right? Yeah, well, exactly. Um and with and with these direct quite direct ties to like the sort of the oil funded American structure of like lobbying, like the Atlas Network and um, and the the Koch brothers sort of university like led sort of structures that they've built up um, and all of that, um, which is yeah, it's basically delivering for oil companies in the end. Yeah. And it's saying you know our civilization must be on the foundation of these oil and petrochemical empires. There's there's no other way of doing it. And in, any attempts to change that will be will be attacked and blocked and suppressed. Um, and it's all in the name of free markets, of course. Um, yeah, of course. Well, I mean, it's like I guess just for our final topic, and in terms of the way that under under Luxon nationalists become close, more closely aligned with the U.S. Um, kind of model for this stuff. Just yesterday, we've seen that occurring again uh, in regards to sex education, um, and this is legitimately worrying if you've been following the discourse of this in the in the states and and the DeSantis campaign um, in particular. Uh, both Luxon and Willis came out and were talking about their back-to-basics approach uh, to education policy, which is, you know, something they've had for maybe nearly 12 months. So this is that uh, classic, oh, we should just be doing reading, writing, uh, arithmetic uh, kind of stuff. We we care about your kids um, and we need to stop with changing the curriculum or or whatever and and adding more stuff that's going to make it harder for them. Uh, But just yesterday they've added... Uh, this this thing, and it's straight out of like the extreme the evangelical Christian playbook. Like, and I want to be very very clear about this. this is exactly this is the 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 entry language used to sell this to the public, and that was to say that school should be focused on the basics. Anything around sex education is uh, a matter for the parents, um, and that shouldn't be covered in schools. And immediately, like everyone who who knows about this stuff. Who, who understands how this works, sees what they are doing, including, for example, uh, Family First, who uh, started releasing press praising the National Party for taking this stance. And that, that should be ringing alarm bells for the National Party. 
honestly, it's really a really dangerous piece of rhetoric to be entering the New Zealand conversation. Yes, it's incredibly disturbing. So we were just talking about the you know these links um, from the New Zealand right to the sort of traditional kind of neoliberal free market cultists, but this is another aspect of it, which is is the the evangelical right in the US, which we've you know we're told over and over again, oh we're we're free from that influence, you know, just like we talked about how there's no Murdoch here, um, there's no, yeah. um, but actually there is there is a strong and growing evangelical presence here, and these mega churches. They're, they're actively recruiting young people on university campuses. They're going hard, and these groups like Family First, as you say, they they know they know how the rhetoric works. They know the signals. So if, if the fact that they were immediately responding to that, I think, is damning. So whether whether National thinks you know they can separate the personal from the political for you know um, conscience issues, or whether they think that they can cynically grab a bunch of these voters without sort of having to pay the political cost. Um, it's none of that matters because they are growing this 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 spread of this toxic ideology. It's also not how political communities work. You, you can't just dog whistle and grab a few votes. If national are running these lines and are the next government that legitimizes that part of the community um, and that part of the political discourse and those groups will get stronger. And then the next time around, Oh, maybe abortion is on the table. You know, maybe we're not re- quite ruling it out. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, this is exactly how this works, and we've seen it w- happen exactly this way in the United States until the removal of Roe v. Wade just last year. Yeah, it's 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 really sad because I think like schools schools to me have so much potential to be these really safe places where where all children, no matter what, can be supported. And where we can reflect the diversity of our communities within the school community, it's super important that we we hang on to that, you know. And this this is an attempt to basically separate that out. It's pol- to politicize schools in a particular way, you know, such that that we kind of we put we put the sort of patriarchal family structure at the head of of everything. Um, and we know this this leads to abuse. This leads to this leads to children like struggling with gender identity or their sexuality or just their identity in general. Um, it leads to bad, bad things for them. Um, and they need to find a place where they can have that support that is community grounded, that um, not everybody has a family who's going to accept them. And that never gets, that never get becomes part of the discourse. Even though there's so many stories, there's so much evidence out there about how it works. Yet we just have these kind of naive statements and these these little dog whistles, or so, sometimes more explicit. But yeah, as I said, I don't know what you think. Is this is this nodding to the is this nodding to that that segment of the voting base, or is this a signal that there is actually a more of a drive within the Nats themselves to to change their approach to? I think it has to be the latter at this point. Like people go on and on about like how's a liberal wing of the National Party, but you know the co-leader. Nicola Willis, who's meant to be one of those liberal leading lights that will pull the evangelicals into line, you know, uh, oh, broad tent and, and it'll all be okay because, you know, they'll balance each other out. She's one of the ones up there making the statement. She she made a very clear statement that she thought that we shouldn't have sex education in schools, essentially. That says to me that nationals, the National Party's consideration of this topic has changed. Uh, and, and I'd ask anyone who has who's kind of made the argument about the liberals and national who sees that as who sees that split is somewhat legitimizing to revisit 
their their thoughts around that at this point. You know, we, we've seen um, Greg Fleming from the Maxim Institute uh, join recently as well. I, I don't think the liberals are winning the argument um, internally. Let, let's put it that way. And because I don't see any reason for Willis to come out with a statement unless they are making it a, a plank of of National Party values. It's they just they, like they they literally did not have to make this announcement. They they just didn't have to say this. They they could have just had it assumed. They could have just done what Luxon's been doing for the last six months and and go to a town hall meeting and mention it out of hand, you know, like and, and so that he'd have some plausible deniability. That's not what this was. And that's pretty worrying. And we know the two-track campaign here as well, because you know, groups like Family First and and other um groups from the Christian right have also been doing the US style tactic of trying to influence schools directly, you know, like letters to the board, uh, trying to get on boards. You know, I think there's been some uh, book banning kind of stuff uh, happening uh, as well, or at least attempts to do that. So, yeah, I would I would say we keep a very close eye on this. Well, I, the other thing, you know, we mentioned Family First before as well. We uh, allegedly have been meeting with politicians from Hungary uh, where, you know, Viktor Orban has been incredibly successful was it was it the Hungarian ambassador or something spoke at one of yeah. the events? Yeah. To talk about how um to do these campaigns. Yeah. You know, and you don't even have to say it's like a intentionally coordinated. You can see the different pieces common values in New Zealand civic society clicking together. Our country's too small to to say that this isn't intentional on some level. Yeah, they they should be eaten alive over this. Uh and it's always very interesting to me to see the way that they aren't. Yeah, well, I guess it's like what percentage of people need to to kind of fall in line with this this ideology before they get treated as legit. You know, that can be very very amoral sort of calculus applied. Well, the times. leader and the co-leader coming out with what we know are lines designed to push this rhetoric. Like that's just that's just the fact. Um, should should probably cross that line i would i would argue yeah i don't know i mean i don't see it as becoming like significant in this election campaign but i think it's very significant as a shift in like values mm-hmm. or communication and like sort of under the surface of new zealand politics and it will it will come it will either like you know jump out of its box and bite or sort of come back to haunt us in the near future um whatever sort of metaphor or analogy you want to use it's not it's it's something that needs to be counted as well. Um, and I think it, maybe it needs to be counted more at the community level because, as you say, like a big component of these strategies is is getting out there and and just messing up like civic institutions, um, messing with schools, bombarding people with, with emails and complaints and um, yeah. So parents, parents' rights. The point is to paralyze the civic system, right? Yes, exactly. And it's um, you know, and it's like to what ends? Well, you know, some people have these ends of like everything is going to be controlled by the free market, and other people are like want you know want a theocracy. Like so, there's different different motivations behind it. But I think the tactics are are shared, and I think they they, they are very good at finding these alignments. Um, and that's something I think for the broader left to consider as well. Like how how do we how do we find these alignments and cross these sort of areas of, of disagreement so that we can counter these forces in a in a strong kind of collective way. And I think you know we haven't. I'll put it out there. We have some potential event that's coming up 
because that um what's what's that lady's name that, that um shit stirring fascist woman is Posey Parker um is her sort of carnival name a carny name it's coming back and I think it's coming back to align um with the the try the um the court case um about the tomato sauce incident um is that right or is that just me yeah yeah that's, that's correct that's correct because it's like in September and I think Eliana's court appearance is scheduled yeah. for like early September and. She announced that she was going to do another tour. And it seems like very, very, very coordinated to like basically raise the possibility of political violence again. Yeah. Um, and it's it's I think we we need to be prepared for like what's happening here. We we are moving very, very fast towards a situation like in the UK or the US. We've seen this stuff with the um co- the anti-co-governance tour mm-hmm. which has disintegrating into like a disgusting spectacle of like violence and and racist um abuse um, yeah. with which have they've been like the protesters have been fantastic i yeah. want to say like um, the people getting along to protest those uh kiakaha like just um the, the support for the protest has been so much greater and so much more positive than what's going on in those meeting halls yeah, that's right. But the, the disturbing thing that I have been observing is that it's starting to break out into the community, like not just at these events, but there are groups of these people associated with the events who are just accosting like random people with uh, tamoko on the streets, and just accusing yeah. them of being Māori or what, like just like stuff I've never really seen before, you know, to yeah. this extent people are of, like outright public organised mob races. This is yeah. not, you know, this is going back to like 1930s, 1940s, 1950s type Pakia behavior. Very, very disturbing. And look, this kind of stuff is like evidentially almost always coming from the right. Like, and, and it is both, both national and act should be coming out and taking an incredibly strong stance. They just need to let go of the fucking rhetoric. Just stop fucking doing it. Yeah. Because it's going to end up with someone injured or worse. You know, I mean, people have already been injured. Yeah, that's, I mean, what am I saying? That's right. Like, there's, there's all this concern about political violence at the moment, you know, and 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 it's happening, but we're just not yeah. we're not engaging. We've sort of got this. And I won't go on about this because it goes into a whole other discussion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're running out of time. Doctrines so. of sort of misinformation and 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 online radicalization. But we have these we have these these evangelical organisations and these propaganda organisations and these politicians who are fueling this this rhetoric. And we need to engage with the, with all of it, we, not just in sort of segments or silos. Anyway, I don't want to leave on a bad note. Um, but it has been an exhausting week. Yeah, there's just been so much happening. And look, it's going to get, uh, I hate to say it, but it's going to get worse um, until political and media leadership decide to actually be fucking serious. Like, just stop. Just just stop trying to, like, create this horrible cycle of escalation for, you know, presumed votes and clicks. Like, they're... Some of the stuff is just objectively fucking bad. <laughs> just say it. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think take take responsibility to like honor Tanga de Fenua, honor Māori people. Don't use them as the scapegoats. Don't, you know, don't feel that level of abuse. Like we can be better than this. We are better than this. We just have some very, very poor leaders at the moment. What a great place to leave it. That's been another episode of One of Two Hundred. Uh thanks for joining me, Mark. Uh, th- yeah, thanks very much. <laughs> If you've enjoyed it, uh, give it a share. Click on it a lot. Go, give us 100 clicks. Um, get our SEOs going through the roof. We've got the Patreon link in the summary as well. We might have a midweek cast uh, next week. Uh, I'm not sure on scheduling. 
But if we don't, we'll catch you next weekend for a return to current events. Follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram, uh, but stay off Twitter other than that. Uh, I would say at this point, it's getting pretty wild out there, uh, not just in the, the newsrooms and in the political scene, but just everywhere. It's There's a lot of pressure. Um, there's a lot of anger. People are, are cracking. Take some time for yourself and um, take care of yourself. Everyone. We'll catch you later. Living a pointless life, but learning all your lessons. Smoking politics no distinction. And I'll admit that I'm at a loss for what to say When they criticize the cost we ought to stay Cause I live amongst the people every day In this vindictive, forgetful fucking rain It feels like we're on the road to hell